2: We might only be two matches into Operation Restart, but the games keep coming thick and fast. Ahead of the upcoming midweek matches, Exeter, Bristol, Bath and Wasps are the form horses, whilst it's two defeats in two for Sale Sharks. At the other end of the table, London Irish and Leicester will be glad that Saracens are already relegated. And it's not just in England where rugby's returned. We'll have a look at what happened across the Pro 14 as that resumed this weekend. I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me are Stephen Jones of the Sunday Times and the legendary rugby writer, Adam Hathaway. Gentlemen, good morning to you both. Morning. Hi, Lawrence. There's so many games of rugby now that we, uh, we don't know what to do with ourselves, really, having wished them for five and a half months. Where were you both uh, last weekend? Jonesy, I start with you, I'm assuming you were covering
1: uh, Saracens against Harlequins, was it? Yes, I was. I also went to um, Gloucester on uh, Friday. Lawrence, it's great to see you back from Devon as well. A pleasure to see that you escaped. Two cracking games, saracen Saloquins again, with almost nothing on it, the intensity of it was was, was absolutely frightening, so re- really enjoyed it slightly getting into the uh, empty stadiums and all the precautions and protocols, so uh, really enjoyed it. but what the person you wouldn't want to be at the moment is a player because they've got tomorrow uh, and the day after they've all got to come back out again.
2: What do you make of Saracens? I mean, we've obviously talked about them a lot. They went down to Bristol in their first game, uh, maybe resting a few players, but credit to Bristol for the way they played. But having already been relegated, they're still going out there and putting you know, putting it out, putting it on the line and, and, and sort of keeping the integrity, I guess, of the league, you know, going right the way through to the end of this uh, restart.
1: Yes. Um, and I mean, they've basically got three teams here. They've got the... The team that's eventually going to take part in the championship—they've got the remnants of their old team, and they've got the team they want to be in two years, two seasons' time—and it's a little bit uh, sort of uh, fractured there. But there's one thing that does remain, and that's the intensity of it. The likes of Brad Barrett, Farrell, um, Maroondah, tells who it goes without saying—had another game as if he was Hercules. So th- they've kept their morale up and and their intensity. And also, they're blooding young players. We saw Santrine, the said prop, who none of us knew, had a, have an excellent game. They also won by more than the score suggests. But they are winning games, but I think they're also part of a grand plan in which they're, you know, they're, they're, they're forming other teams as well. So it's really good for them and the intensity and a, a really good match, intense match against Harlequins. Adam, welcome
2: to the rock. Where were you at the weekend, my friend? And uh, how have the last few uh, few weeks been for you in this sort of build-up to, towards the opening couple of weekends? Well, I, I had a, a sofa night on Friday, watched a couple
3: of games, went to Saracens with Steve on um, Saturday. The one big take-out i have out of that is that Brad Barrett is the sort of Charlie Watts of Saracens. You know, they've got all the rock stars, but he keeps it together. And they're going to have to keep him fit for that game against Leinster on the nineteenth of September. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, the last few weeks have been very strange. Mate, watched a lot of cricket. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been it's been fascinating viewing. We'll get on to Leinster a little bit later on. I don't know if you, if any of you guys caught the uh, the battle that they had with Munster over the weekend, and and just the quality of the side that they put out. It was shuddering actually to to look at it, even on paper, let alone the performance. But uh, you know that's something that that Saracens have. Uh, I've got to cope with. How, how are you both finding, Adam, I'll, I'll ask you first, how are you both finding this, um, you know, turning up the stadiums, the, the, you know, the the fact that there's no crowds there, obviously, is, is really tough for all of us, um, you know, including the people at home who dearly want to be back in the stadiums. I turned up to the stoop to watch London Irish against the Saints, both coming off the back of big, big defeats. The Saints had gone down to Wasps at home and, and obviously, uh, London Irish were were heavily beaten by Bath away. And I was expecting a, a, a reaction and, and it, we didn't quite get it in the first half. It was a um it, it was a really, really tough watch. And we got to half time and there was um there was more turnovers than there was points on the board, which is always a concern. But when there are no crowds, how do you think the players are responding to that and uh, and and what you know, what's your reaction to that, Hathers, if I start with you? Well, well the weird thing is, um
3: when you've got a crowd there, you don't hear how much chat there is on the pitch. I mean the noise coming from the from the teams on on Saturday was, was brilliant it was, obviously we go we, well in the old days when they used to let us into training grounds <laughs> we, used to to training, we used to go to training grounds and you could hear all the shouting and screaming and stuff like that it's quite instructive to watch that but it is weird walking into a ground there's no crowd all the bars are shut it's a bit sort of ghost townish.
2: Yeah, I think that I think they should publish the temperature test of all the uh, of all the hacks. Actually, I'd like to I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to know exactly what temperature everyone records as they come in the ground.
1: It was ninety six point four, by the way. I, what I feel I feel sorry for the clubs. Look, we all know that the this is over the top, but you take clubs going really well. I mean, it's Bristol the Chiefs this week. How many would they get for that? You know, how many people would they have got? And you take the way Wasps are going. Your your own team. They're going like a bomb. And we all know that WOS have got a big constituency of people there. And on the weekend, the excitement of the players when, when WAS won their game was something special. And now they've got sale. You think, me again, you know, if it's in this midweek game, there'd be a big crowd there. You could be talking about sort of WOS over 20,000 for midweek. And that, you do feel sorry for the play. The players are magnificent and they're so committed. But you just feel a little bit sorry for the clubs because they're losing a fortune in likely income here. Because let's be fair, it is a ghost town. But it is started with such intensity from the players that you really have got to admire them for it. I don't know if any of you have seen. Well, you would have seen
2: a little bit of Bristol. We've obviously seen. Yeah. We've seen the two sides of Bristol. We saw the game against Saracens where they sort of dug in and played in a in a very unBristol-like way to uh, to come out with a win, and then obviously uh, they they cut loose with uh, Radrander against um, Gloucester. Um, it was very interesting. I don't know if any of you heard uh, Pat Lamb's comments before or after the Saracens game, before the Gloucester game. He was saying that. Um, Look, he said, our fans may not like it, but he said, we've studied Exeter and Saracens in a lot of detail. And if you want to beat those sides, you have to play in a certain way. And by that, he meant that it may not be that their their world-class X-factor centre didn't even get to touch the ball very often in that game because you mm. just spend the whole time playing in a certain way. And then, of course, against Gloucester, we saw um, Redranda and, and, and everything that he has to offer with, with two assists and the, and the try himself. I mean, Coming out of lockdown, there was a lot of hype with, with Bristol and the, and, the, and the signings they've made, both the on-loan signings and the high-profile signings. Is Pat Lamb creating something that, if not this year, certainly over the next couple of years, they're going to be, along with Exeter and maybe Saracens in a, in a, in a year and a half's time, uh, the teams that we're going to be uh, talking about, Hathers.
3: Well, I think uh, Pat said at the start of this season that he was looking at top six. I reckon if they don't get a home playoff tie, they'll be kicking themselves now. And when they do finally open the the doors at Ashton Gate, they, they could get about fifty thousand in
2: there to see this guy Radrado. He's unbelievable, Josie, You you'll remember the, um, the the halcyon days of Bristol uh, Rugby. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly remember going to the Memorial Ground and Derek Eves. And I mean, even even before that, you know, some of the uh, some of the absolute legends. It was a really really tough place, and and you know was was right up there with Bath actually. When uh, in, you know even in their heydays, as one of those places that you just really love to go. It's great to see them back, isn't it? And, and, and when I say back, I don't just mean back in the, in the, in the competition, but, but back in the big time because that's what they are. And they're, and they're a very different Bristol to the one that, uh, that we all remember you know, dearly.
1: Totally. And I, I think one of the big, uh, in, the, in the last 10 years, one of the big drawbacks for the, the, the development of the premiership is that the, the 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 rugby's biggest city, i.e., Bristol, because they got the the most uh, junior clubs, uh, has not been part of it, and it is wonderful to have them back. I mean, I Bristol is very near to me, been brought up in Newport, and I used to go over there a heck of a lot as a kid and with Newport to watch them. And uh, there was something about them; there was a, a great power there, uh, but also they they always tried to play rugby. And very interesting what you just said. You know, if you have a certain style, do you change that style uh, to adapt to your rivals. I mean, you could say that what we'll do is we'll do our style better than they do their style. But I think you're right. I think Pat has said, right, when we play the Chiefs or when we play these top teams, we've got to be prepared to grind it out as well. So uh, in which case, Rodrada becomes almost like a walk-on part. But I, I think they're clever enough to adapt to well, that whatever's happening in the game. I think they've got a real good brain trust there. I really like the fly halves they got there and um I, I just think Bristol are, 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 are bloody good news for the whole division. Simple as that. Huthers, I want to just
2: talk, I have to talk about Exeter Chiefs. I think before restart, we all thought that they were nailed on as the uh, as the title favourites. And everything that, I mean, I, I went down to uh, to their opening game against Leicester, where, you know, Leicester put up a, a reasonable resistance for about 20 minutes and then they were just simply blown away. I was super impressed with the way that they played against Sale at the weekend. You know, to go up to the AJ Bell with no fans is, is not unusual, really. But... Uh, they, uh, they, they managed to dispatch them fairly comfortably. What do you make of Exeter? And can you see anyone stopping them at the moment? Well, if they don't win it this year with everything that's gone on elsewhere, then they'll be absolutely spitting. But um, they seem
3: to have just lockdown doesn't seem to have affected them. They just, they've still got the, you know, the old um, pick-and-drive game, but they, they've been scoring some decent tries as well. I mean, Slade's been fantastic. Simmons at fly has been great. They look the real deal. And I'll tell you what, if they don't win it this year, they will be cursing.
2: Well, the, the, one of the reasons why we thought they may not win it was because um, there was so much news, Jonesy, about Sale Sharks uh, in the restart. Maybe, maybe too much news, and, and maybe, maybe all the hype and the you know and the, and the signing of and Lange and everything that's going on there with their training ground and the fact that they're in the papers every single day. Now, maybe that's affected their performance a little bit because uh, they've certainly come out the blocks very, very slowly indeed. And uh, well, they play Wasps uh, on Tuesday night with a well, I wouldn't say they're they're probably not going to start with their strongest um, 15. They may finish with it, um, but given the selections that they've had previously, do you think they've It's just a question of bedding down so many players there that, uh, that it's just going to take a little bit of time? Or, or, or
1: would you be a bit more concerned if you were Steve Diamond? I'd be a bit more concerned because, you see, when you say taking time, they, they, you know, if they want to be in the top four this year, which they definitely do, they had to come off the blocks. And I've I, I seen um, a fair bit of them since lockdown. And I just wonder whether some of these South Africans are really pulling their weight. I just wonder whether a couple of them have come over and said, oh, well, this is just a premiership... Um, I, I mean, I'm not knocking the guys, but this is the Premiership. We're gonna we're gonna be okay here. But I, I think that even South African World Cup winners, when you come to the Premiership, you really, really got to front up. It, however tough you it, you think it is, it's even tougher. And I would have thought that. I, I mean, we don't know what sort of team Wasps or Sale will be fielding. I would have said that Sale have got to come out against Wasps, almost like mad dogs, because their season is slipping away. They did the preparatory work by getting up there, and now they're slipping. And teams like Bristol and Wasps currently are looking stronger. So I'd say to the South Africans this week, come on, boys, lead us, prove that you're as good as we think you are.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Faf de Klerk, obviously, you know, been outstanding in the World Cup, but um, I think they need to look to the, the likes of him and, and some of the other guys to really lead the charge there. On Saturday, we had one of the one of the great Premiership fixtures: um, Leicester Tigers at Welford Road against Bath. Now, I don't know whether it was me, or, um, but I mean, this is a fixture that whenever whenever the uh, the fixture list comes out, it's one that I always look for because yeah. it's, it's one of the all time classics, and and it's over the years, God knows how, how much uh, drama, controversy you know or you know just it's just been a brilliant fixture I couldn't help maybe I'm being a little bit cynical here but I couldn't and I, I understand that the, the the games are coming thick and fast but when I saw the the team sheet for Leicester Tigers they'd obviously played against the Chiefs the, the week before they've got to rotate their squads they've got another game coming up in a couple of days time I mean I just thought to myself this is going to be lambs to the slaughter really because they they put out a side that uh, was unrecognizable really from 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 a, from a, in terms of the experience, um, and maybe they just had to do that. And then when you looked at the bar side, you just saw what well, this is kind of men against boys, and and it kind of proved to be. And I'm just wondering, as a as a fan, as as rugby fans as we are, do you think that this desire to get the season played is is kind of taking away individually from from great fixtures like this one, where the kind of result was was done and dusted before a ball was even been kicked? For sure. So we normally get the.
3: The teams for Saturday games at 12 o'clock on a Friday. And I looked at that Leicester team and thought, what's the point? I mean, five years ago, this this would have been one of the biggest games going for the whole season. Hmm. I was at Saracens on Saturday. Eddie Jones was there for the first half, disappeared in the first half to go to Leicester. I don't
1: know why I bothered. I know there's no crowd, but you're still at home. You still want to get your season going. And with the greatest respect, Leicester have got London Irish at home this week which at the moment is not one of the more difficult fixtures why they didn't commit more resources to the bath game I don't know and when I sat and watched it men against boys is right because these big guys like Will, St- uh, Will Stewart uh, Ben Urbano uh, the, these big lads they're just running through them as if it was if they were made of paper and yeah. and in a way it was a good job there wasn't a crowd there because you might have got some unrest and 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 you know, at the end they scored a, 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 a forward-driving try, at Leicester. There was no celebration at all because they'd just been absolutely murdered up front. And I mean, you know, we know there's a lot of fixtures, but they got London Irish coming up. They could have played Saturday's team against London Irish, and they could have taken on Bath as they should have in one of the great Premiership games. Yeah, couldn't. you stole my you stole my thunder there, Steve. You're exactly right. I mean. But
3: they'd expect to knock over London Irish in their sleep, you know, normally. And um, I just couldn't get the, I couldn't get the team selection on Saturday at all.
2: I'm going to move across to, uh, to the game that I was at, actually, London Irish against uh, Northampton Saints. You know, London Irish are, are, are an interesting one, aren't they? Because on the one hand, it'd be easy for us to criticise them and just say, well, you know, that was a pretty poor performance. It was pretty average. You know, you've lost your your, your coach, George Givington to, to Gloucester. But other than that, you've got a very experienced coaching team. Um, you've got a decent squad of players. But I think we, we also have to remind ourselves that they're sitting ninth in the league. Um, this is their first season back in the Premiership. And uh, with Saracens being relegated, you'd kind of go, well, you know, have they achieved success already this season? You know, when you think about all the other teams that have come up in their first season, what constitutes success for the, for the side that's newly promoted? Should we not be expecting too much from London Irish this season? With the
3: Saracens situation, London Irish have got a bit of a free hit, haven't they? Like, I mean, several coaches have said that they can use this sort of block of nine games almost as a, a mini pre season. And then Irish should be going into their new ground in Brentford and they'll put their foot on the accelerator then. But uh, yeah, they were pretty poor on Saturday though. They're a million points off of um, qualifying for Europe, so they're probably not worried about that. They're safe, so just use this as a free hit.
1: I well, just wonder whether they are, that, that is exactly what they're doing. I mean, let's be fair with London Irish. If They could, finish, they are going to finish out above the relegation this year, obviously. If you offer them next year just to finish just above relegation, they'd probably take that as well. I think they've got a great chance here. Thank goodness that they're still in the division for the, for the new stadium. I think that'll be an emotional coming home for them to their natural area. I think they've got some great people there maybe not quite enough. But if they're using this so that when it comes back, comes to the new season, they come out gleaming and get a few home wins, then it, then it's all worthwhile. You don't want them to suffer too much damage until then, but I hope they survive because I think they're a great club. And they're you know there's not that many Irishmen there. They're developing and, and deriving their own spirit there. And they've got some good people there to do it. So, you know, let's, let's hope that they give... Uh, give the Irish community and the London Irish fans a, a team to be proud of.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree with that, um, Jonesy. I, I mean, I, th- I think they had four Irishmen in their squad last time I looked. And I just wonder whether they, they're they obviously moving to this wonderful new stadium. But I just wonder whether they're just sort of trying to find their new identity as a team. You know, we know about their academy. They've got one of the, the, the boundaries of their academy brings some of the most fantastic talent in this country. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the challenge for London Irish is holding on to that. I just wonder, Jonesy, for you, do the IRFU have a role to play here? We know that none of the Irish players are are allowed to go and play overseas um, and still qualify for them. But just wonder if there's a sensible conversation for London Irish to sit down with the IRFU and say, look, we could be your fifth province. I'm I'm not suggesting that you're going to give us the... uh, the real cream of the crop of, of, of Irish players. But there must be a handful of young Irish players that, that aren't getting enough game time over in Ireland that, that could do over at London Irish. And some of the, uh, the players that come to the end of their international careers with Ireland can be passed over to, to bring forward the development of some of maybe the next crop of Irish players as well.
1: I think that's a brilliant point, and that is exactly what London Scottish are doing with a tie-up with the, uh, probably at a slightly lower level, with a tie-up with the the SIU, Mm launch. I think it is ridiculous that the Irish have always got so sniffy about people coming over, you know, I mean, they want their properties to be good, of course, but it is a great potential, uh, you know, sending over young players who are not, say, in the Leinster team, just to give them a go. And, and then you can always uh, sign an agreement that, you know, they'll be released for internationals. It's not as if they're, not, they're never going to go back. And I think one of the sad things is that it's almost like London Irish are playing in a, in a completely different continent. It's near Heathrow, isn't it? Just over the water. So it's a very good point. And you really hope that uh, the union get together. There's a huge Irish community in, in London. And, uh, you know, they want to tap into that. Actually, Lawrence, I hope that nobody from the Irish Rubber Union has listened to this.
3: Because I'm an Englishman and that just makes plain common sense.
0: The train is now approaching. Junction and platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Just looking at uh, some of the other teams that were in action at the weekend, Gloucester obviously got off to a... uh... A pretty good start in the first game against the Warriors, albeit against 14 men, but the George Givington kind of era got off to a winning start. Were we surprised that, that they weren't able to, to, to back that up against a, a really good quality Bristol side? I mean, that was done and dusted after about 55 minutes. Yeah. And then
3: Pat Lamb came out and said Bristol Bristol did take the foot off the gas. I mean, Lawrence, you know a few of the guys involved at Gloucester now, you know, Danny and George and um, Alex King. I mean, what do you think? Do you think they're going to
2: kick well, on. I, I think when I look at the uh, I mean we've we've talked about it on the ruck before when you look at the quality of the squad that Gloucester have got if I was a coach I mean I look at Steve Borthwick and I think he's got he's got a job on his hands to sort that lot out at Leicester um it's not it's not a quick overnight fix that one I think there's a couple of recruitment windows that's going to be needed before he can do an awful lot no matter how hard he works and he will be working exceptionally hard. But when you look at the Gloucester squad, there's a little bit more there than maybe some of the other squads. You look at the talent they've got, and I, and I genuinely believe that uh, those guys are going uh, to ha- have a big impact. You know, They come from a, from, a, from a winning DNA. Can they bridge the gap between the likes of, uh, of Exeter and, and the likes of, of Bristol uh, and Saracens? Mm. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I do, I do genuinely believe that, that they've got what it takes. I'm sorry, I,
1: I think that we can't keep on harking back to Gloucester as a scrummaging team. They need two or three people in there with some hardness and absolute Mm self-belief. They need a sort of a a Lawrence DiVallio, they need I mean they've got Ed Slater there but there is something soft in the the parish there because they keep on losing at home games they should win. Gloucester should win almost all their home games with that backup there and they don't. And I think they're somewhere they're too hard-nosed forward sure to be in the proper glossary
2: team. Let's talk about the referees and the tough job that they've got at the moment, trying to strike this balance between introducing the new interpretations of the breakdown law. We haven't got any new laws as such. We've just got some new interpretations of it or, or just reinforcing some, some interpretations that the referees have forgot to referee, I think. What we're seeing is obviously a, you know, an avalanche of penalties across uh, Friday night's uh, three matches over the weekend. We had um, 84 penalties in three games, wow. which is uh, 28 penalties a game, which actually sounds horrific. But before lockdown, the Premiership averaged 20 penalties per game. So it's only gone up by eight, uh, which is four per mm-hmm. side. Um, and hopefully after the next couple of weeks, things will settle down as we start to see the players reacting a little bit more to the way that the, the, the referees are blowing. But um, is it just something that, you know, we saw it in New Zealand, we're just going to have to get used to. And by and large, I think we're all in favour of what, of what the referees are doing here and trying to speed the game up a little bit.
1: Yes, and 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 also just make the breakdown a little bit more understandable, so that the refereeing can be a bit more consistent, Lawrence. And it, they, you know, they went through it in New Zealand. Let's not let's not pretend that they, they just shot off and did it immediately. Refs are trying to put a marker down, and uh, it is frustrating sometimes when balls are turned over and oh, there are penalties. But I think we've got to, we've got to suck it up for the moment. I think after two or three more games, if there's still a high number of penalties, it will become frustrating. But at the moment, you'd want the referees to keep cracking down. You'd want the players to get on board with it and work with it and do the best they can. And then maybe in two or three weeks' time, we can think, oh, that, well, that was all worth it. What you would hate, if the rate of penalties don't go down, and we're still talking about the breakdown in three ruts from now, Then, then it would have gone wrong. Let's hope for the moment it's going okay.
2: Hathers, um, you know, in their desire to speed the game up, I think, you know, what's going on at the breakdown, I think is fantastic. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of all of that. But do you think what the game is still, to a certain degree, shooting itself in the foot a little bit in terms of reset scrums? And the other, my, my other sort of, you know, room 101 bugbear at the moment is just how long and how many stoppages there are in a game. You know, you do all this fitness work, to be fitter, stronger, faster than any other player. Unfortunately, we get situations where the TMO takes you know five hours to arrive at a decision that you could probably arrive at five seconds ago. And it just allows players to get their breath back. And I just don't you know, how can you build fatigue into a game? I know Eddie Jones talked about it. How can you build fatigue into a game? What's even the point of becoming fitter than your opponent if you can't actually use that on the rugby field?
3: Well, well Eddie's great thing about fatigue is reducing the number of replacements, which I totally agree with. Some of the TMOs are ridiculous. It's like the um, some of the DRSs in cricket. You know, there's, just make the decision and get on with it. I've got no, on this breakdown I think I've got no problem with that at all. I'm, I'm sure the clubs have all got referees in at training and to sort that out. I've got no problem
2: with that at all. Yeah, just I mean, not
3: going to drive crowds away because there aren't any.
2: <laughs> well, no, we've got to. Yeah, but that's the point. We've got to do something to drive crowds back and mm-hmm. not turn them away. And, you know, we've seen in football, they've had to adapt and, and think about doing things differently. Cricket, you know, we've, we've got onto the subject of starting earlier so that we don't have the issues with bad light, et cetera, et cetera. I think rugby has to, you know, we've got to do things that kind of speed the game up, that make it more attractive, that make it faster so that, you know, what we need to try and do, let's be honest, is not just attract rugby fans back to the stadium. We need to do things that attract people that don't watch rugby to the stadium. And that's the, you know, that's the big challenge for rugby. When we're allowed to have people back in the stadium, there's no doubt that all of us will be, can't wait you know for that moment when we can buy our first pint of beer after the game obviously and uh, and celebrate the fact that we're back in the stadium but we need to do things to attract non-rugby fans and I just wonder whether rugby just needs to have a little bit of a hard look and I thought maybe you know during this lockdown it would have a hard look at itself and think how can we attract those those new fans to the game the
3: the reset scrum thing is a is still a real problem I was watching a game with my daughter on tv and she was just she just said, you know, she's a big football fan and she was just saying, you know, what are all these people doing, standing around doing nothing.
1: Lawrence, Laurence, it's so easy. I mean, why is there a 25 second gap while people go away and talk about the line out signals? Uh, that, that's A. B, the most preposterous thing, I think, in, in modern day rugby in terms of getting tired and, and, and fatigued is that it happened in the, in the was, WAS game on, on the weekend. What's a a pounding and pounding and pounding away? The opposition are infringing, infringing. So right on the opposition line, the referee says, right, next time there's going to be a card, go and tell your players and I'll wait. So everyone gets their breath back while the captain goes to tell them not to infringe again. Absolutely ridiculous. Get on with the game. And just just a quickie on the weekend uh, the, the, the if you take a conversion quickly, it means that uh, you can't go to the TMO uh, both Owen Farrell and Marcus Smith just just took reasonably quick or tried to take reasonably Quick conversions, and because they did so, the referee said, "Stop! I'm very suspicious. Something's happened to you because you're taking a quick conversion." Well, the TMO has already seen it. Get on with the game. They then replay it, and there's no problem at all. So you know, you know what? One of these days, it's going to be past midnight when the games end.
2: If I could turn our attentions to the Pro 14, because that obviously um, came back with a bang at the weekend. Some wonderful fixtures. Obviously, uh, all Ireland affair in uh, in Connell. Twenty-six uh, against Ulster twenty, Leinster twenty-seven, uh, Munster twenty-five. Scotland, um, the, the big, the big derby up there went in favour of Edinburgh, and I guess Ospreys uh, Dragons was was neck and neck. Talk to me about the Pro Fourteen, and you know we we've we focused so much of our attention on the on the Gallagher Premiership. The Pro Fourteen is sort of come back to life um, with some pretty tasty games, uh, Jonesy, at the weekend.
1: It has. And uh, what they did, as we know, they, did, they said, look, we can't fit all the games in. So what they've done is they've just gone for the derby. So, it's, well, I mean, not geographical, but, you know, Connacht and uh, Ulster and then Leinster-Munster, Ospreys against the, the Dragons. They're kind of local derbies with a big interest. And uh, it's a shame that the crowds weren't there, obviously. But they're just going to have the derbies, then they're going to go straight to uh, uh, to the playoff, and then get on with next season. I think that that does reflect the fact that there are quite a few games in the league which do not grab the attention. I don't think the South African teams have grabbed the attention.
2: I mean, I have to say, you know, I do like the I do like the, the derbies. You know, Leinster Munster grabbed the eye, although Munster scored late on to make it probably a little bit closer sure. um, on on paper than it than it actually was. And,
1: um, and and as you say that you know all Scotland affair Glasgow, Edinburgh. In fact, uh, Cockerell, Edinburgh and Glasgow. That should have been a, a that should be a Titanic class. But but Cockerell's really got the word over Glasgow a player. It's so a long time since Glasgow were really competitive in, in the fixture. Also, no, last, no. we should say that that to Munster game. We're talking about the Premiership getting stuck in. I mean, fair play to both teams for really getting stuck in. You know, first up, I thought that was an excellent game. Really did. I don't know if
2: you saw the Leinster uh, selection, but um, I, mean, it was, um, I mean, it was Ireland, really. It's a bit of a one-horse race there. That's the problem, isn't it, with, with Leinster? You can't really see anyone other than them winning that competition outright, can you?
3: Well, they, they weren't working about with their team selection, were they?
2: No. It wasn't
3: like, <laughs> they weren't having a net. I mean, Steve won't like me saying this, but I think Lancaster's done a great job there.
2: Why
1: weren't you like that, Jonesy? I'm <laughs> oh, I'm not I'm not raised <laughs> into the beat. The poor old Leinster coach, (laughs) who no one's ever heard of, because Lancaster takes all the credit, it's unbelievable. But the the interesting thing for me
3: about Pro 14 is what Richard Cockrell's done at um, Edinburgh. I think he's on the verge of signing another deal there, because he doesn't want anyone else to take over the good work he's done. I just wonder
1: if Leicester are regretting letting him go whenever it was three years ago. Just one word. You're right. The league was very interesting on the weekend, but they need one thing in in the league and they need it for ages. They need the Welsh teams to be competitive and they've been miserably uncompetitive. On the weekend, the Scarlets looked a little bit better against a poor Blues team. Yesterday in the drawn game, the uh, the Dragons really should have won because uh, they were playing 14 men for over half the game. And that didn't look so good. But these teams have got great histories and they've simply not been good enough. And I'll just emphasise that with one final point. I think Johnny Sexton has played for Leinster in an away game in Wales once in the whole history of the competition. And I'm not knocking Leinster, I'm knocking the Welsh teams because they should be good enough to force Leinster to field a strong team.
2: We're going to review the... uh... Round 16 of the uh, of the Gallagher Premiership, and we've got uh, the likes of Leicester, London Irish, Saracens, Gloucester, Worcester, Harlequins, Northampton, Bath. They're all on Wednesday, but first up, we've got, uh, well, an in, in interesting one, Wasps against Sale Sharks. Hathurs. Wasps obviously come out of the blocks really, really fast. Lee Blackett can do no wrong at the moment in terms of his selection, the, the way that he's playing the game. You know, it's a one-point game against Worcester. He's got virtually a second team out there, and they're tapping and going under the posts and and going for the bonus point because they know that Saracens have already been relegated, and there's no point messing about. Just get on with it and go for it uh, against the um, Sale Shark side who are who are you know naught from from two and, and probably under a bit of pressure now. How do you see that one going?
3: Well, it's a massive game for Sale, like you say. I mean, they we thought they were nailed on for the playoffs before this lockdown thing where they've got, they're have got they only one point ahead of Bath and Northampton. Like you say, Wass have come flying out of the blocks. And guess what? They've got an English coach. Amazing, yeah. isn't
2: it? Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, at Sale, obviously, we'll have to um, bench or rest some of the, the, those yeah. some stellar names that we saw, which may give Watts the opportunity to come out of the blocks fast at uh, the Rico Stadium and, and maybe uh, do a bit too much before Sale are able to make the changes. Jonesy, the tie of the round has to be just on form, and everything that's going on at the clubs, the, the next game, the uh, 7.45 kickoff down at Ashton Gate, Bristol, uh, who have been superb in, in, in different ways uh, in, in their opening two fixtures against... Uh, the all-conquering Exeter Chiefs.
1: Yes, a, a huge game. The thing is, I think this, for this midweek round, Lawrence, and for the next midweek round, so a lot of it depends on what the coaches are going to do, the DORs are going to do, and how they've planned it. You know, I, the, the, There is a case for thinking that Exeter have done their work for, for, for this opening passage, and actually could send out a team, a, a weakened team, to Bristol, then they can rest all their top players. The thing is, that's not the mentality that they've got. They're very likely to sort of go out and really challenge Bristol. A lot depends on who's um, who's not knackered and uh, and, and uh, who, who they can play. Bristol Exeter is, is, is a fascinating game. The selection is fascinating. And also, as Adam said, was sales fascinating. And also my new hero, uh, incidentally, I know, I know we've moved on from Wasps, is Gabriel Ogre. I'm sure it's a a misprint. It should be Gabriel Ogre, because what a a player he looked like. What a beast. So a lot depends on whether these guys are picked. But as you say, Bristol-Exeter, the two Rolls-Royce teams of the moment. And whatever team's out, you've got to watch that. One thing I would say about that is um,
3: Exeter have got Worcester at home the following Sunday. So they could probably... Rest a few of their big dogs for that, whereas Sale have got Bristol at home on the Saturday, so no, that
2: might influence their selection. Crazy, isn't it when they when those games come thick and fast? And then obviously on on Wednesday we've got uh, Leicester against London Irish. Hathers. I mean, uh, obviously you know two teams that have um, coming off now the back of two pretty hefty defeats, both for both directors of rugby, both sets of players, so both their first team and their and their and their their backups have, have all had a run out and, uh, and neither of them have come away with anything. It's almost absolutely vital that that, uh, that Leicester win this game, don't you think? Not
3: really, this house's situation, but I wouldn't be paying
2: money to go and watch these two play. <clears throat> like you say, I mean, if Leicester
3: put out their so-called number one team, then you'd expect us to put Irish away at Welford Road. Yeah. But um, who knows what's going on there. I mean, Leicester have got, they've got Gloucester away on the Sunday. Yeah. Maybe, they, maybe they'll keep the big dogs for that.
2: Yeah, I mean it's probably a bit of bit of bit of uh, both. Actually, they've got to balance it out a little bit. I just think after after the uh, the, the demoralising defeat, you know, against Bath, that they that they just got to come out and, and, and actually show that they that, that they mean business. The yeah. Sar- Saracens Gloucester it could be quite an interesting one as they build closer towards what what is their target for this season, which is you know fingers crossed the. Uh, the quarter final against Leinster, which which still goes ahead. I mean, as that becomes kind of more and more again, that, that comes into, into into focus. I guess they're they're kind of building for
1: that, aren't they? Really? Absolutely. Mark McCall said on the weekend that they're miles away from from that at the moment in terms of where they want to be. Uh, are, are You're into this with these new laws about all the new regulations about how long you can play. I think probably the likes of Mara, told you will not be able to play the whole game if he plays at all, which, which would be massive for them because they've lost a couple of lots as well. But I think they're trying to put the building blocks into place. Ali Davis at Scrum Half, very important because we understand that Richard Withersworth is struggling for injury. So this new Welsh lad, who, who looked a lot better on Saturday, actually, um, that's key as well. So, and also Gloucester. I mean, come on, boys, stand up. You're Gloucester rugby club. You know, why not give go up there and, and, and try and get win from that to get your season on the on the road.
2: Last last couple, um, just a quick quick fire. Then uh, Worcester, Quinns, Hathers. Um, who who picked your winner from that one? I oh, fancy
3: Worcester actually in six ways. I mean, Quinns didn't fire a shot until Lassiki came on on Saturday after an hour. There's something missing there, and I can't put my finger on it. I mean, Steve alluded to it in his match report on Sunday that Smith didn't have the greatest of games against Saracens. I oh, fancy Worcester to, to nick that
2: one. Yeah, I can't can't disagree with you on the evidence of what I've seen so far. And then Jonesy finally, quite a tasty game at Franklin's Gardens, Northampton uh, uh, against Bath, and Bath, have, you know, probably been the surprise package yeah. for everyone. Really, the lockdown has clearly worked to, in their favour. They they seem united. They seem rejuvenated. They seem uh, that, that they're all pulling in the same direction. And and maybe the uh, you know this summer rugby, maybe maybe it suits them a, a little bit more than uh, than perhaps we'd all thought.
1: It may be. and the thing is, though, it, you know, we're we're in the second week of uh, of rugby already, Lawrence. We've got a must a must win game. I mean, that's the pressure of it. Northampton have got to win that. If they lose that, they're slipping out the top four, and their form is so, is rather poor. Uh, it, it is a must win game. If Bath can bring any of the power and the the sort of resilience and the, and the confidence which they took to Welford Road, they could they could win that too. They really could. Yeah, well, I think they finally.
2: I think they finally re- recognise the fact that you need a good number nine if you want to win anything, really. Um, yeah. and, uh, and you know, with Spencer going there, with all the the comings and at Saracens, I think that's that that's the one signing that probably, in terms of value, bang for your buck. You know, sure. along with at Northampton, I think that one is a, is a really interesting one because I think it's it's just going kind to of completely change the way the Bath, um, you know, are viewed by the by opponents. You know, this season, Spencer's a permanent
3: signing. He's not alone.
2: Yeah, exactly. No. it be interesting to see how many of those loan signings do become permanent, whether they actually go back to the Saracens or not. Because a lot can happen in a year, can't it? You know, if you're, if you're suddenly in the England team uh, off the back of a, a move to another club and, and you're flying, my argument would be, well, wh- why do I need to go anywhere? But anyway, we shall watch sure. with interest. We regularly have the uh, the God and Goddess of the Week. Jonesy, uh, any, any, any kind of, uh, any, any calls for uh, for who your God or Goddess of the weekend? just
1: go? It's simple, mate. The Ogre. The Ogre. I thought he was wonderful. He, he looked a, a beast. He looked like he wanted some every time there was some uh, dodgy action. And, uh, blimey, how many hookers have they got up there now? But Gabriel Ogre, I'm not sure if I pronounce that right, it's clearly a misspelling, it's Ogre. And I will be following the Ogre uh, all the way into the England and possibly Lions team in the next few years. <laughs>
2: Hathers, any uh, any advances on the Ogre? Yeah, apart from Charlotte, who put up with our
3: witchering of the press box at Saracens on Saturday, we won't get many chances to give this one to this fella after the end of this current season. So I'm going to go Brad Barrett. Like I said, he's the Charlie Watts of North London.
2: Yeah, good call, that one. Um, I'm, I'm going to go slightly more, more, more of an obvious choice. Uh, Rodrandra, with all the hype that comes around players that come over from... Uh, different parts of the world and the league he uh, he obviously didn't get to touch the ball in the first game that he played in because they decided to put the you know put the box kicks up at every opportunity but he certainly didn't let anyone down in the second game uh, and if that's a glimpse of what we're likely to see from him and from Bristol Bears then I think he is uh, uh, definitely worth the admission fee when we finally get to pay it and, and, uh, and have a pint after the game I think rugby fans around the world and around the country will be talking about Rodrandra. so he is my yeah. god of the week gentlemen that brings us uh, neatly to, to the end of the, this week's edition of The Ruck my thanks to Stephen Jones and Adam Hathaway as there are yet more matches on Bank Holiday Monday we'll be back next Tuesday to review all the action if you've enjoyed today's show please leave us a review a good one uh, and it, you can subscribe to The Ruck on Acast, iTunes or your usual podcast provider.
0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional
2: recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.